Welcome to the England Rugby Pod. Thanks for downloading episode 100. There's loads to talk about this week, but mostly we just want to say thank you to all of you guys for listening, tuning in every week and making this possible. You're listening to the England Rugby Pod, the rugby podcast that believes England will win the World Cup in 2019. Hi guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, This is a big one. This is our 100th episode. Uh, Massive uh, feat for us. (laughs) Never thought we'd get this far. Um, And obviously, huge thanks to you guys for sticking with us and making it possible. Uh, I'm joined by Dan. Dan, 100 episodes, mate. Mate, I'm happy with that. That kind of sneaked up on us. We've been doing it a while, but 100 episodes. uh, Well done, mate. Well done. Thank you, and uh, well done to you. (laughs) Thanks. I, I think you do the... Vast line share of work, but I'm happy to share share the credit. Uh, yeah, this is a very, this is a very true. This is a very a fair point. Um, obviously, uh, you know, hundredth episode. We should be celebrating. We should be doing something special uh, to celebrate this centenary. Um, we're not, but we've got <laughs> we, we have got a lot to talk about. Uh, so you know, we're going to let the content celebrate the episode for us, um, as we're able to do quite regularly now, which is which is amazing. Uh, I've got a couple of reviews to read out. Um, the first one is from Dhawk97. Uh, he gives us five stars and says, love the podcast, been a listener, a listener since the first episode, uh, which is amazing to hear, a hundred of them. Uh, recently, I found myself agreeing with nearly everything that you say, particularly when discussing matters of selection. Dan and Andy are as baffled as we are at certain omissions from the squad, such as Sips, Armand, and for me, Atwood. I don't believe that we will win the World Cup, but I certainly appreciate their reasoning as to why we might. Logic and reason can be found here, and it's not all. And although it's not all rosy at HQ, it's certainly not all bad either. Uh, and this podcast reflects just that mood. So, you know, a nice, a nice review there. Really appreciate that. Um, amazing that you've been there since day one. Um, I like it. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um, and our second yeah, one is from. Well, it's Willie Truscott, but he, he names the review Will Will Carrot Top Truscott, five stars. He says, best thing since sliced bread, uh, and maybe <laughs> Meghan Markle. Absolutely love listening to this, uh, more so than the traditional England rugby pod. Makes my commute far less painful. Please let me join for an episode. Cheers, chaps. So two things here. Well, three things. First, thank you very much uh, for the review, for the five stars. Secondly, of course, we'd love to have you on. Um, get in touch uh, on email. It's probably the best bet, uh, englandrugbypod at gmail.com, and we can set something up. We'd love to get some of our listeners on uh, and join us one of these weeks. Um, and thirdly, you say that uh, you know you prefer listening to this than the more tradi- than the than the traditional England rugby pod. We're the first England rugby pod. The uh, the the O two one that calls itself the England rugby pod that came along later. So uh, there you go. Bit of- nice. I like that. Yeah, great review. And uh, yeah, Will, Carrot Top, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a punt in the dark here and reckon uh, Ginger. Oh. Oh. oh, possibly. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but mate, we'd, we'd love to have you on. Uh, we'd, we'd absolutely love to uh, sort of, you know, yourself and other listeners, you know, share views because that's what, that's what we're all about. It is what we're about. Um, and on that note, we've had another email. It's from a regular listener. Uh, I think we've we've probably read out 
emails from him in the past, but that doesn't matter um, because we enjoy hearing what you guys have to say. It's Joe Reed. Hopefully this is just, it'll encourage more of you to get in touch. Joe says, this is in, uh, we, we obviously talked last week about co-captains. Um, yeah. Uh, I was not particularly happy about it. Um, I think you were less phased, but we agreed it was a, it was not the way to go. Anyway, Joe says, um, fairly sure that I'm one of the few England fans who's actually, who actually likes this co-captain situation. Uh, yes, only one of them can take charge on the pitch, but that'll be Hartley for the first 60, then Farrell for the last 20. And that's the way it's been for ages anyway, so there's no real problem here. I think Eddie's explained it well in terms of the media responsibility. Everything that England rugby owes to the fans has been mentioned several times on the pod. And to leave all of that on one player's shoulders does seem a little ridiculous. Pretty sure that regardless of what people think of kickers being captain, Farrell seems set as England uh, set as England's future captain. And I stand by my thought that it could work. Having this extra experience alongside Hartley will probably help with the psychological side. And if you, uh, and if you think about it, he's been making those decisions whenever Hartley goes uh, off for a while. As for contradicting authorities... I think they're very much on the same page in terms of leading England. They have similar mentalities, which is, of course, shown in Eddie choosing them as captains in the first place. They've worked well as captain and vice for the last few years, and they share a room at Pennyhill Park, so they've got a lot of time to discuss their thoughts and get themselves into some sort of agreement uh, where there are conflicts. I think it's exciting, and I obviously don't know for certain if it will work, but I'm certainly looking forward to seeing it. So, Joe, thanks for getting in touch again um, and for another pretty comprehensive explanation as to to where your thoughts sit. Personally, um, my response to that would be, if if that's, you know, essentially what they've got here is a captain and a vice captain. Uh, anyway, that you've just, you know, Joe has said in his email, Hartley will deal with things for the first 60 minutes and make all the decisions and then Farrell for the last 20. That's what happens when you have a captain and a vice captain. It feels to me a little, a little bit like Eddie's sitting on the fence. And I don't know, I don't know. For me, co-captains is just a bit weak. Why not? Why can't it be I, captain and vice captain? I so I'm inclined to agree with you here, Akis. I but the co-captain thing doesn't sit well. But the thing about Joe, he's written in a few times now. And Joe, do you remember when he wrote in and told us he'd just got his GCSE results? The guy can articulate himself and talk with such good knowledge. For I'm guessing he's got his GCSE results because he's around 15, 16, sort of maybe coming up 17, mate. You know your stuff for that age. Good for you, buddy. We'd love to have you on as well if you'd uh, be keen at some point. But yeah. with regards to the co-captains, yeah, I I agree. I I I want a definite captain. I want a definite leader. I think you need um, it in a World Cup year, don't you? you? You need to have. I think so. That kind of stability of knowing who is who's who is your guy, um, and it's not. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not going to change anything. You know, people will say, you know, what does it really matter? You know, let's see what happens in the Autumn Internationals. It might work. I don't think it's going to change much in terms of the way that England play. Um, It's not going to... And and the fact is, if it doesn't change anything in terms of how things used to be, why why invent a new name and create... I don't know, it just feels a bit soft to me. You look at New Zealand, and I know that they're not... You know, the, the way to beat the best isn't to copy them. It's to find ways to kind of outplay them. But you look at New Zealand, I don't, as far as I'm aware, they've never had co-captains. You know, they pick someone and they stick with him and the rest of the team knows this is the guy. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it just feels a little bit 
soft. I mean, and it, it surprises me because Eddie Jones has always been pretty outspoken when it comes to to sort of telling his critics, "I don't care what you think. I'm the boss, and this is what I'm going to do." Um, so it's not like it's a pressure thing. I, I, yeah, I don't really understand what the motivation is for having co-captains. Um, and, and I suppose you know the, the, what, what Joe mentioned about the the media responsibilities. That doesn't need you know you don't have to be called a co-captain to to play a role in that. Yeah, yeah true. You can yeah you can still be a senior player, member yeah. of the leadership group or whatever. Yeah, member of the leadership leadership group. You could you know if you want to invent something, invent invent a group of players that you have chosen to be the spokespeople uh, for but the squad. E- equally, just like devil's advocate, are, are we just picking a like labels here does it how much does it matter i mean to me i kind of want a captain to find but if they don't care within the group it is just a label it's not i mean that's it's not going to define how we play or, or anything like that as okay. long as they know within the group i guess it doesn't matter a huge amount would would it have mattered to 2000 the 2003 squad if martin johnson was playing but wasn't the captain but i think jono was such a definite leader such a guaranteed definite leader whereas so, so that'd be, Hartley, that, I'm not, so that'd be enough uh yeah i i i think I, then i think it was different because it, it was a different time a different scenario um I, I, mate i don't i'm not bought into this co-captain thing but it's not something that there's other things that bug me more at the moment Oh, hundred percent. But uh, you know, we have to pick it. Uh, we have to pick it all. All the little bits to, to build course. to build the complete picture. Uh, I mean, I put a tweet out, a little Twitter poll, uh, and to be fair, I mean, it was it was it was close. Uh, Dylan Hartley did just get it as a you know people wanting to see him as the solo captain, but Owen Farrell wasn't far behind. One or two had some other suggestions, most possibly not uh, particularly viable, likes of Don Armand. Um, sure. he's got, got to make the squad first and, and you know we've, we've, we've done that one um, <laughs> before there's not much point in focusing on that now uh, at least not until after the Autumn Internationals but um, yeah I can't see him be, suddenly being selected as the new captain um, but there you go one person suggested Rob Shaw because he's done it before um, again not, not convinced that you know the, the, the captain that led England to their worst ever World Cup um, is necessarily the guy, you know, as good as he's since kind of gone on to become. Um, I feel like captaincy perhaps didn't suit him uh, as as shown uh, yeah. in 2015. I, I, I don't think he was a bad captain. I mean, it was a bad World Cup and there were times... I, I just... I think that's moving backwards. I don't think Rob Shaw's the answer. I definitely don't think that. But that's not about Rob Shaw himself. I think that's more about. I mean, one what person. Yeah, for. one person did suggest that uh, the reason Eddie Jones can't commit to a captain is because he wants to be the captain himself. <laughs> that, that that may be true. <laughs> it may well be true. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, look, Joe. Yeah, thanks so much for getting in touch. Um, you know, divided opinion. But um, always good to uh, to present us with things to discuss that are going to create a little bit of debate. Um, it's a Dan, smart lad. As Dan eloquently put it, um, it's not going to make much difference. So we shall we shall see if that uh, if we'll see if that turns out to be the true. Um, I'm just glad that Dylan Hartley is back in there after after what happened in South Africa. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Anyway, moving on. Um, so the next thing I wanted to bring up. Um, and if you listen to other rugby podcasts, I'm sure that you've heard this being discussed. But it's it's typically being discussed by people who are coming at it from a 
a player perspective, from a professional rugby pundit perspective. Um, I want to talk about it from a, from a fan's perspective. Danny Kerr's red card and subsequent ban. Um, I'm assuming you've seen it. I have, yeah. Um, I, I, I understand that the by the letter of the law, it's a it's a red card, and that a red card carries a minimum ban. Although I did read that the minimum ban was six weeks, and he got three, so I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Um, so he he got three weeks because of uh, his uh, remorse, his immediate remorse, and lack of uh, any previous conviction for that incident I guess so it's a minimum ban of three weeks not six uh yeah I mean I it's one of those isn't it it's sort of like this is the minimum ban but other circumstances (laughs) minimum fine 100 pounds but pay it early and you can pay only 50 exactly exactly it's one of those Um, scenarios fine um yeah so so you know essentially all he did was he he stood up and someone ploughed into him with their head. Um, but that's considered him. He's in at fault. He's not the ball carrier. And therefore, and it was a, it was a week. It, it wasn't even a tackle. <laughs> he didn't make a tackle. He just sort of got headbutted uh, in the chest or in the kind of shoulder region. But of course, that's shoulder to head, which is, which is a card. I mean, he was one of the first to kind of put his hands up and say, yeah, sorry, shouldn't have done it. He, so he knew, he knew that by the letter of the law, what he'd done was wrong. But I don't know, just... It, I get player welfare, uh, you know, and I know it's important that, that that that's looked at from every angle. But this just, I don't know, this, it, even the referee was apologetic at having to send him off. So, yeah, there's, for me, there's a few uh, sort of trains of thoughts here. Firstly, the refs can't be blamed. I, I think the refs have a hard time as anything. And there is some inconsistency, actually, uh, Wes, Wes Tonks, one of our, one of our listeners is a Gloucester fan mentioned this at all and said consistency of referees because in that match there were other incidents mm-hmm. that were probably worse but on the whole the referee didn't wasn't wrong there by the letter of the law that is a red card but that's sort now, of why I wanted to discuss this because I, I, I accept that what I don't accept yeah. is that I, th- I feel like the law therefore is is wrong right now that they need to tweak it somehow because Agreed. This was brought up by by possibly Danny Kerr. Um, not not sure who it was, but um, and Anugo responded and basically saying, surely people will start targeting players, you know, in order to win penalties and get them sent off. And he was saying, no, they're not going to do that. They're not thinking that way. But actually, or you, well, if you're the, book, the the guy with the ball and you're running a, a opposition player and you you know a big strong guy with a strong neck. Would you not be tempted just to put your head down and go in head first? So there, there's, yeah, there's a few trains of thoughts here. Firstly, that's true. I, I want the law to see, take into account, uh, like, like you say, intent. So Danny Kerr clearly had no intent there, doesn't want her. And fine, yellow, but to, a red card for that just seems too much. However, here's the other thing. That's the law. Is it going to change before the World Cup? I don't know. I doubt it. So England need to train with that being the law and need to understand if we do that, rightly or wrongly, that's going to be a red card. So okay. we need to then yeah, no, I, I, put together a plan to so, make sure that so doesn't happen. I don't disagree, right? But, but having watched a few of the Southern Hemisphere games during the Championship, 
they were not being refereed as tightly in, yeah. in, in these areas. Okay, so so they were they were getting away with a lot more, you know. And, and the pundits were saying, you know, you had the pundits basically saying, yeah, that's fine, you know, rugby is an aggressive game, not not saying, okay, but the letter of the law says this, and therefore, um, is this something that England needs to be conscious of um, in terms of their training? To, to, you know. 100%, based on who 100%. their referees are going to be during the World Cup. Because what we can't do is we can't afford to go up against a South Africa and Australia and New Zealand in the World Cup where being refereed by you know a referee that spends most of his time in the Southern Hemisphere playing to these rules that we know are the letter of the law and actually it doesn't get ref that way and as a result you know we're not being as aggressive. We're not we're not kind of committing two men to tackle the way that we should and preventing offloads and things. Because ultimately, this is this is the thing. You know, we all learn as schoolboys tackle around the legs, but you can't do that in the professional game anymore because if you tackle someone around the legs, simple offload. Yeah, I, it, it, it is one of those where you, you've got to, but we 100% have to take this into account because do we want to risk, oh, this referee might be a bit looser than that or he may not and get a sending off we need to just not put ourselves in a position where we might get sent off. And it's like I said, like Wes Tonks, the guy who wrote in um, on, on Facebook and, and clearly equally knows his stuff. And as a Gloucester fan, I, I'm sure was pretty pissed off by the whole thing. There needs to be greater consistency, especially come a World Cup where you've yeah. got refs from all over I mean, the does world. Eddie, does Eddie need to basically go and you know make a list of all the referees that are going to feature in the World Cup and go and sit down with each of them and say, look, here are some examples. What would you do? Because right now, the yeah, of the I law mean, says this is what should happen. Yeah, I, I don't think, in, in fairness to Eddie, I, I've not agreed with everything he's done recently, but I don't think we can put this one on him. No, I, no, I I'm think, not, uh, no, no, not at all. I'm asking, I'm asking in terms of England preparing for the World Cup, you know, in the most efficient I, I think, way possible, yeah. is that the way to do it? To get in front of the referees, as has happened in Six Nations in the past, to clarify certain things and basically go, how are you going to ref this? Because we need to be... We need to come out playing to the to the rules that you're gonna, you know, the way that you're gonna ref the game. Yeah, I, I think world rugby as a whole need to clarify this before because this is not by any means unique to sort of England or anything like that. And world rugby needs to clarify. But at the moment, I think we need to train based upon that's the law, yep, rightly yeah. or wrongly. That's the law. We need to train based on that. And. One thing that's pissing me off about this, actually, and really pissing me off, is people saying the game's gone soft. I went to Saracen's Gloucester the other day. Trust me, the game is the hardest it's ever been. Yeah. If anything, the reason this is happening is because the game's got too hard. Yeah. Because it, it because people understand what the damage can be. These guys are absolute athletes, absolute machines. And that's one of the reasons. And do you know what? If... If that does save welfare, and if making that law as strict as thing does save a concussion, does save that, then cool, fine, do it. But then change the law, make the tackle below, like they say, below nipple line, below armpit line. Make that the law so it's consistent across the board. Um, but because things like Danny, things like Danny Cipriani's red card, realistically, it ruins game, and and it's not right. It's it's an accident. There's no intent. There's no, I mean, you're not going to stop people getting hurt on a rugby pitch. That, that's the nature of a game. It's a game we all love. It's a game we all know. And that's the reason, you know, people do get hurt. 
as long as people aren't trying to hurt people, I, I personally think you need to take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. At the moment, they don't seem to. Um, you, you know, somebody runs in, even if they're not trying to hurt someone, but somebody runs in full belt, shoulder up, they're going high, you have limited sympathy. If somebody runs into someone else's shoulder with their head, it's a bit more like, look, let's think this through a bit. But it's, if you do that, it's so hard to know where to draw the line because otherwise you're getting, you're second guessing people, people's intentions. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, and I haven't got a solution at all, but I feel like at the moment it's very much like if the ball's in your hands, you can basically do what you want. And it's up to the other, it's up to the opposition to, to not get themselves in the wrong position. But actually, that's 100% right. Yeah. But that's actually, how it is right now. Yeah, yeah. But actually, from a player welfare point of view and ensuring that everyone is safe including the, the, the defenders, should the yeah. ball carrier not have a responsibility to, to kind of attack the gain line and attack the defender in a safe way as well? I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I just, I, I look at these situations, particularly if you've got, you know, a short guy with the ball and a tall guy as the tackler. Yeah, it, it's you know, if tough you're a, If you're a six foot eight second row against, a, a, you know, a five foot nine scrum half, You've got a long way to get down to make it a legal tackle. Like, it, it, I don't know. I just something doesn't sit well. I mean, maybe maybe that that particular setup's okay because actually your shoulder's too high up to to reach the scrum half's head. But yeah, something needs to be done for me. Um, just to clarify things a little bit more, I'm all for player welfare. Obviously, we don't want guys getting injured, and we're seeing far too much of that. Um, but and it's not about making the game soft. But you need to keep the game competitive. Um, and, you know, these guys who play week in, week out, they want it to be as aggressive as it can be within the confines of being safe. So I think World Rugby haven't quite got it right at the moment because what we don't want to start seeing is for, you know, 15 on 15 at the beginning and 10 on 10 at the end because people keep getting sent off for potentially soft tackles that by the letter of the law require a red card. Well, if, if the laws don't change, inevitably, some team in the World Cup, some top-level team in the World Cup, will end up losing out, probably getting knocked out due to an incident like this. Like They'll have someone sent off for an uh, unintentional weak challenge and probably end up losing the match. And that, that could be anyone. I'm not saying he'll be. That could be any nation. And that's not really how you want a World Cup to be. No. You don't want a World Cup to be one based upon a... You, you know, a rugby incident that's unfortunate and, and happens like that, even if it's about changing, like they say, changing cards, so um, which they do in some sports where you have whatever, a black card or something, where that player gets simbin for 10 minutes, then they can't come back on, but you can replace them with someone else. Yeah. Even if it's like that, just to keep the game competitive and to keep the sport competitive. But it, it's a fine line. It's really tough on the referees. It's tough on world rugby, but there needs to be some definite clarification because if you're a metre out from the line, and as people do at the back of a like ruck or more, they'll pick and dive for the line. So they're diving head first. Yeah, yeah. What are you saying? You can't tackle that person? Of I mean, course you can. Like the other thing, of course, is that is that all of these red cards, they they all end up getting you know going in front of the the sighting commission after after the event anyway. Right to be reviewed, yeah. and some are, some are rescinded, and you know the ban and everything, and everything else are decided. Maybe the answer to ensure that we're not playing ten against ten is to say that a yellow card is the appropriate response for something like this, because 
if it turns out that it was, it is considered to be, to have been intentional or or too dangerous, they're going to find that out in the in the in the sighting commission afterwards anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, and almost sort of say that in that situation, okay, if you've got to give someone a ban in order to encourage this sort of thing not to happen, at least you're not ruining the game on the day by by you know re- reducing numbers. People can be but replaced. And maybe, or, or, yeah. or as you say, but the, the, the black card idea with, you know, they, they go off, but someone else can come on. So you're keeping the numbers up, um, you know, and, and so at least squads have the ability, you know, week in, week out to put out 15 men and, and you know, expect to keep 15 men on the pitch uh, or at least have 15 men on the pitch at the end. You know, I don't know, maybe something yeah. like that would make more sense rather than ruining games by saying sorry, but I'm going to have to send you off because the letter of the law says I have to, even though I appreciate, you know, all you really did was sort of stand in the way and he ran into your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's a hard one because I think if you see something with pure intent, like not even intent, but with, you know, Sonny Bill Williams, massive fan, but in the line tour, when he hit Watson in the head, he just went in with his shoulder. Like yeah. that is a red card. Yeah, um, and I think, so, but I think that gets looked at from a different angle. So I think, I think when they're yeah. looking at that, I think this is this is. What, I mean, World Rugby need to clarify that's not simply oh, you know, head shoulder to head is considered a. I think maybe it's a case of it's a yellow card if it's unintentional, and it can be looked at yeah. by the sighting commission. It's a red card if it's intentional or I don't know. But intentional maybe is the wrong word because are we saying that Sonny Bill Williams thought? On the way in, I'm going to hit him with my shoulder in the face. Probably not. Yeah, no, exactly. So yeah. I don't know. I don't it's, know the answer, but but I just feel like the answer is not the law as it is right now. Um, I I agree. I think the key thing right now, actually, regardless of the law, is to get as much consistency as we can. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, we've been on this one for a little while, so we're going to move on. But just just kind of flitting back a little bit, we were talking about DC and the red cards, how we got onto this. Um, so before we move on. From Danny Cipriani, we have had a tweet, and this is an interesting one. I don't necessarily agree with what he has to say. Well, clearly, I don't agree with what he has to say because we've spoken uh, about this at length. But uh, this is from a guy on Twitter, calls himself Old Timer. Um, experience, I guess. Uh, he says, as a Gloucester season ticket holder, I completely agree with Eddie Jones's decision on Cipriani. We watch Danny Cipriani for the whole 80 minutes and he is a liability most of the time and then offers the odd minute or two of brilliance. Not worth the downside. Cipriani spends most of the match hiding from the action as though he's terrified of contact. He seldom receives a scrum half pass. He hides behind the back line, very seldom tackles, makes panic, fast passes and kicks when he's about to be tackled. Some work and they're called brilliance. Um, and I, I got this tweet, and I and I it was it was a really interesting one because one the guy's a Gloucester season ticket holder, a Gloucester fan, and so you would think therefore a Cipriani fan. Um, but more importantly, it was just a very different viewpoint. You know, we've been not just us, but it seems it seems the entire rugby world outside of Eddie Jones has been banging on about how much we want um, to have him, you know, Danny Cipriani involved. Um, but not this guy. And it, it, do we think perhaps his view is similar to Eddie Jones? So it, it's interesting. So I don't know. I mean, I don't personally agree with that. But having said that, this guy clearly watches Danny Cipriani a lot more detail than I do. Yeah. Well, this so is the thing. This is what. So I have a theory, and everyone will probably be like, 
yeah, no shit, dickhead. We've all fought this. But I have a kind of theory with Eddie. So when he was mentioning about Ben Morgan, he mentioned that um, Ben Morgan's a big guy, big ball carrier. And he said that every team that's won a World Cup has had a big number eight ball carrier. Yeah. I reckon Eddie's picking the team. I reckon he's looked at previous World Cup winning teams and he's used for historic wins and looked at what did these teams have that have made them win the World Cup. And in his head, he set up like every team has had a big number eight. Every team's had a brilliant kicking 10 or whatever it may be. And he's decided that's how you win a World Cup. You must have this, this, this. Mm-hmm. And he's not necessarily taking into account sort of who's playing best or who's the best player. He's defining who's the best players to mould a team that is a, a, it's a World Cup winning team based on historic events. Okay, but... This is a pure theory based on yeah, me. Yeah. I have nothing to back this up. No, no, but, but hang on so, a second. Hang on a second. But you're, you're, that doesn't make sense because you're saying that he's picking a 10 who's a good kicker. Um, and... I, 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 I was using that as an example. I'm not saying that's 100% true. Okay, but if you compare I, 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 Cipriani to Ford, what, what, are, what are the... What are the? How do they differ? So, how do Cipriani and Ford differ? I so I don't I don't have the answer to this because I don't know what he's looking at him. But he he's maybe thinking oh, I I don't I. So how do they differ? They are Cipriani's maybe a bit more sort of mercurial on the thing. Ford is Ford is more of a kicking ten. He is more of a less risk ten. Maybe that's what he's thinking. If you look at so for, for argument's sake, you look at. Uh, the All Blacks, when they win, they tended to pick uh, Mertens ahead of Carlos Spencer. I, and, mate, I don't know that that's something he's looking at at all. I use that as an example. It may not be, but... Right. Back, back, your, back your, your opinions. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just saying, Cipriani and Ford are different players. I mean... No, Ford are they? More, yeah, Ford... Open, Ford different Cipriani, people. Cipriani, to me, plays flatter. Cipriani, to me is a more aggressive on-the-line player. I mean, Ford can do that in attack on the front foot as well, but I, I think Ford is a slightly more risk-adverse 10. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's, you know, he plays more to a system rather than playing a bit more sort of French-style player as you see it. So maybe that's how, that's how they differ. Whether that's something Eddie's looking at, I don't know. Yeah. And this theory, this theory is purely based upon... Me thinking it, I have nothing to back this up, so I could be talking back yourself. Bullshit. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because because we're talking about Ford versus Cipriani, like we think Ford is the ten. Um, but as we have said in the in the last uh, in the last episode, and and you know on, on social media as well, we want to see Manu at twelve, or I do anyway. I can't remember whether you agreed with me or not. And Farrell at ten. Um, and if Eddie is thinking along those lines, like Ugo Monnier is, because as Ugo said in their last episode, he listens to all the rugby podcasts. That obviously includes ours. Um, and he's basically yeah. he's basically repeated verbatim what we said in our last episode about Manu and uh, and Farrell. So thank you, Ugo, for um, sharing uh, you know our theories on your podcast. We we appreciate the love. Um, but I, I had a word with him. Nice, nice. But yeah. If, if it's Farrell at 10, does that change anything? I mean, I still, it's still I, for me... I think least... Farrell's our best 10. I personally believe Farrell's our best 10. I guess the question, though, is, is he our best 12? 
Uh, and that can only be answered by knowing. What, well, exactly. That can only be answered by knowing what game plan you've got. And obviously, we've only ever re- really seen him as a twelve under Eddie Jones. That that you know that kind of 10, 12 playmaker channel. But Manu hasn't been available, and he's now back. Does he see Manu as a thirteen, which is where he tends to play for Leicester, um, with his you know trusty pairing in the middle, or is he going to mix it up as we would like to see? Have Farrell at ten, Manu at twelve, and I guess that means your boyfriend at thirteen. No, not Billy Twelve Trees, uh, Henry Slade. Oh, Billy Sladey, Sladey. Um, 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 I, I want those three personally. I want to see those three start. Slade and Manu, I don't mind who's 12, who's 13. I personally think they're both capable of playing both positions. It's a very different, uh, it's a very different back line, if, depending on which way around you have that, though. Yes, it is, yeah. So, so it, kind of, it kind of does matter. Um, I don't know, what, no, what, what would you prefer? I'm not saying it doesn't matter. What would you prefer to I think... Personally, because, oh, if you're, because if you're going to have, Manu I think personally, at, I want Farrell, Manu at twelve, and Slade at thirteen. Because if it's the other way around, wouldn't you rather have Ford, Farrell, Manu? Uh, no. Interesting. No, no, no. I'd, I'd like, I'd like. If it was the other way around, and you're going to do that, I'd rather have Cipriani, Farrell. Manu. Well, yeah, but we're assuming, we're assuming that's not an option because uh, yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, but we're we're people in the squad. I'd rather have Farrell at ten. And then Manu and Slade in the centres. I'm not that fast, and, and I'm probably being quite naive here, but I'm not actually that bothered. Um, who's for twelve? Who's for thirteen? I think I'd quite like to see Manu at twelve and Slade at thirteen. Right. So what uh, we said last week, and what Ugo repeated this week on uh, on his podcast. True that. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll move on from that one. Um, so my next question for you is Nigel Owens uh, making we Simon Zebo apologise. Huh? Yes, so I, I know because you and me had a chat about it. I think we're thinking different things. So I think that's fair enough. I, I, I don't think what... It's such a hard one and I'm going to massively contradict myself here. But... I don't think I think Nigel is fair enough. Like, you know, don't don't mock him like you're scoring a try. Don't don't go and then mock someone when you're doing it, and then just saying apologise. I think Zebo acted brilliantly afterwards. He apologised and tweeted straight away, and I think it's done. Like, leave it at that. It didn't need to be more. Nigel, to my mind, didn't make too much of a fuss about it. Is Having it okay? Said that, is it even Nigel Owens's place to say something? Uh, Nigel Owens, is, oh, yeah. Nigel Owens is a referee. He's there to referee the game uh, and ensure that the laws of the game are applied. Um, but does he also have a... No, I, I think he also has a slight obligation to ensure the spirit of the game is as well. Yeah, I don't think he's wrong there. I know you disagree. I 100% disagree. I think Nigel Owens is, is, completely, is completely out of order for even believing for one second that, that he has any right to step in and have a word. I mean, who the, who the fuck does he think he is? He's, he's there to referee uh, the game, not to not tell, not teach these professional rugby players, uh, you know, in, with something so simple as, uh, and all he really did was he gave him, a, he didn't even do anything, he gave him a look as he ran past him, as if to say, <laughs> done you. 
So what? I yeah. don't, I, you know, if that was if that was uh, you, you know Johnny May on the outside against New Zealand, or you know one of our boys, we'd we'd love it. We'd think that was amazing. You know, as yeah. would the Scottish if it was them, and the Welsh if it was them, and the Irish if it was them. Well, it was yeah, it was them. But do you know what I mean? Like I, that for me, that's not going against the spirit of the game. It's it's keeping it a little bit feisty, a little bit entertaining. Um, and that's great. It's like cricket. It's like saying let's get rid of sledging in cricket, which I know is me repeating what was said on another podcast. But it's it was a it was a well made point. You know, we don't look at that and go, oh, it's so against the spirit of the game. Well, it can't be against the spirit of the game because it's been going on since the beginning of the game. So I'm going to contradict myself here a bit. So I like it. I actually like it, and not everyone does. So if if there's a, like a massive scrum and they win, and like you hear Marrow like whooping and everyone like patting each other's back. I like that. What I don't necessarily like is if somebody makes a mistake and everybody then like pats that opposition person on the head to be like, oh, unlucky. So it's it's a fine line. I don't think I don't think Zebo actually did anything majorly wrong, but he, it doesn't. He skinned the outside. Yeah, he skinned the outside man and he scored in the corner. And all he did was he gave me a look as if to say, come on, try and try and catch me. You know, I've done you. And and you know, so what? That guy has the opportunity to try and come back and, and teach Zevo a lesson in the future. It's not for Nigel Owens to step in and say, you need to go and apologise. I, I think that's, that's Nigel Owens getting way too big for his boots. Um, and I've got, of, I've got a lot of respect for Nigel Owens. Um, and, and I do like, some, you know, sometimes when he, when he pulls players aside and has a little word um, because he's, he's getting a bit fed up or, you know, diving or faking or, you know, whatever it might be, people giving him too much chat. But something like that, you know, apart from anything else, it takes the opportunity for Simon Zebo to do that of his own accord away from him. And it's just not, it's not Nigel Owen's place for me. Uh, We're going to have to agree to yeah, disagree because, because, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't mind either way if I'm honest. Guys, get in touch. Let us know what you think. Um, obviously, if you agree with Dan, don't worry about it. In fact, if you agree with Dan, the uh, email address is uh, England Rugby Pod. At, at the the gmail the gmail <laughs> place dot co dot za. Um, if you agree with me, it's englandrugbypod at gmail dot com. Let us know what you think. Um, so this is this is where we're problem with this because you remember last week we were chatting about central contracts. Yes, and, and we both disagreed. And I said they should do central contracts. Yeah. Well, actually, on wait, don't on tell Facebook, me, I, don't tell me I was right again. Well, on Facebook, there's a guy Sam Sherat who responded saying. Uh, the problem with central contracts is if, for example, Saracens, you had Farrell, Otoje, Vonapola brothers, all given central contracts, uh, suddenly you free up, you know, one after two million for Saracens. Saracens have got extra in the wage gap compared to like a sale or a Newcastle. Now, Sam, here's my issue with that. If you're going to make like really well thought out, knowledgeable and really good points, we, we just that completely shit on my arguments. We, we're just two very different people. And uh, I, I don't really know where we go from here because he, he completely shut me down there, didn't he? It's, it's a really good point. And, Sam, and, Sam, was it? Yeah, Sam. Sure, Sam, yeah. Sam if you're listening, um, get in touch because I'm actually looking for a, a new co-host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you are now because he, he, he shut me down there. So, Sam, yeah, fair enough, mate. That is a completely valuable point. And, and I hadn't taken that into account. I was just talking off a whim. But, no, Sam, thanks for that, mate. Um, and he's right. <laughs> Correct. So, like me. 
so yeah, what's that? Two, three? I've lost count. Um, so, well, that's why I'm just a bit more hesitant at the moment uh, to commit to to say anything because Sam will come in with more knowledge than me and tell me why I'm wrong, and I'll be like, "Damn it, he's right again." That may well happen. That probably will happen. Uh, we shall see. Um, okay, next up, um, have you read about um, the RFU and what they've said to Eddie Jones regarding the World Cup and his and his uh, what? future career? Semi- semi-final or beyond you mean yeah uh yeah but i think that's been in place for a while hasn't it i don't know i just thought we haven't talked about it on the pod no we haven't but it's um so i found that quite interesting because they they were talking about sort of replacement coaches and fair enough that they've got that in mind the fact they've come out and said that surprises me a bit like why would you talk about a replacement coach like you know, a year building up to a World Cup, surely, you know, if you're doing that for due diligence, so be it. But the fact they've come out and said it has... has. Um, I mean, the main, th- the, main pro- thing, the main thing they've done is they've just said that where in the past they had said they would only entertain coaches with international experience, they're now saying, they're backtracking on that and saying, actually, we're prepared to entertain coaches without international experience, which brings the likes of... Baxter back into play, whether or not he would, uh, you know, be interested. Um, I mean, is is, it, is there more to it than that? And more importantly, that's not really what I was talking about because, of course, the the real thing here is that they've, you know, Eddie Jones came on initially to to be with England until after the World Cup. They then extended his contract because they wanted him to kind of usher in the new the new era. Um, and his his contract was extended twenty twenty one, and now they're saying that actually that's you know provisional based on England reaching at least the semi-finals of the World Cup. So, so where I think this is interesting, I think the reason they extended Eddie is in their head they had Eddie mentoring someone to take on the role, perhaps uh, Steve Borthwick or someone. Yeah. Whereas now I don't think they're thinking that way. In which now case, I think do, do, we, thinking... do we think they want to get rid of him after the World Cup? Not what, Eddie? Or... Yeah, Eddie. Uh, I at the moment I suspect that might be going through their head but I am massively again reading between the lines but that might be going through their head because there's been a lot of controversy at the moment there is causing and I don't think the RFU like that um, at all I I think they hate that as an organisation but it's going to be equally it's going to be hard to get rid of him if they've given him that contract beyond and say, for example, England get sort of semi-final. Well, let's not even say semi-final. If England got to a final, it's going to be very hard to get rid of Eddie. And rightly so. But it's it's also... I mean, are we looking way too far ahead? I mean, if we go back... Yeah, I, I, I think we are. If I we go we back 18 months, you know, is there is there any... Doubt in any was, was there any doubt in anyone's mind that Eddie Jones needed to be with England for as long as humanly possible? You know, well, we, the, 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 about pe- people the, now people now say there was, but realistically there wasn't. No, of course there wasn't. And so England have, have had a pretty rough run, um, but it's a run of six, five, no, five, five losses on the trot, and then the, and then a, a, what's considered a weak win, a dead rubber win. Is that is that where we? Got yeah, to? there's a. There's no such thing as a dead rubber in, in rugby. I, 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 
I, I believe that you can't call it a dead rubber win like a test match a test match. It was it was five, but in theory six if you include the bar bars. But I, to me, that doesn't really count. Okay, well even if um, we, even if we decide to count it, six losses and then a win. Yeah, so the last seven games, that's what they look like. Yeah. Prior to that, eighteen wins. Yeah. Yeah. So. If England now, you know, win, and it's a big ask, but win all four of their Autumn Internationals, and then they win all five of the Six Nations matches Grand Slam, that's not, that's nine. You know, have we completely then forgotten about the, the kind of the down period that they had? I know it's a big ask, and, and it's, we've got a long way to go, and, you know, but if that was to happen, then, you know, coming into sort of March, April next year, post Six Nations... Is Eddie Jones not the hero of the hour once again? And we've all forgotten about this stuff. Yeah, of course. It, everything's so reactionary at the moment. Like yeah. in, in all sports, isn't it? It's, it's like, what what have you done for me? In the you last know, five what minutes. What have you done for me recently? <laughs> yeah. So, but that's that's also, there is a part of it. Like we, we can't be too naive and realise that that is a part of sport. And you've got to say that Eddie has not made life easy on himself. I mean... As we've said before, some of the decisions we are absolutely baffled by, as a lot of people are, there may be valid reasons for them, but we don't know what they are. I, I, and personally, I can't see what they are. I tried to give a theory myself earlier. Um, but and, you, and you were wrong. I, well, yeah, I could well be wrong. It's just a theory. But, I, I mean, there has to be a reason that Eddie's picking who he's picking. And I, mean, in I, my I, head, I, I certainly hope there's a reason. Uh, I hope there is yeah. method in what we consider to be his madness. Um, but, uh, yeah. I, but, yeah, so to, so to kind of, I guess, go back to that point about the World Cup, about the kind of the, the pressure that's been put on him to perform, even, even though it's his, his team that needs to perform, um, is that looking way too far ahead? Because it's like, you must do this, ignoring that he might lead England to nine on the bounce, you know, spectacular wins, potentially. In which case, it, in yeah. which case, you know, it's like, well, he's proven that he can turn a side around, which he did in 2015 uh, post World Cup, which in theory he could do again now post a little bit of a down, a downturn, and at which, you know, at which point are they still saying you've been awesome? Thanks very much. You know, England have had however many wins to losses ratio, you know, under your under your tenure, but if you still don't make the semi-finals, you're out. It, uh, to me, there was no value in it. Yeah. There was no, there was no value in bringing that art now. There, there's no, unless they are preempting a really poor autumn, and sort of, you know, they're trying to set the scenes for. Because I have no idea, and I'm not sure what I think here. But if we lost, say, three of the four games, does Eddie's position become untenable? I don't know. Mm. Uh, but if we lose three or four, well, it does make it very hard. So we, perhaps... Yeah, I mean, that that's a question that we hopefully won't have to answer, but will, if necessary, uh, in about four, no, five weeks' time. Um, uh, yeah, around that, yeah. But, uh, but obviously, yeah, before that happens, we, you know, we're going to put those special glasses that we own on the rose-tinted ones, and we're going to will... Our boys to do something special, and I don't know. I've I've, I've got a, I've, I tend to have these, but I've got a little sneaking suspicion that things might start to look a little rosier for everyone else as well. 
Um, but we shall see. Um, before we call time on this episode, the last thing I wanted to bring up was, um, it's, and it's just a small thing, but Christian Wade's move potentially to the NFL because I don't think there's no team or anything confirmed. He's got a, a process to go through. Um, do we think that his lack of England involvement is is one of the the kind of key reasons for that move, or is it well, simply a hundred percent, a hundred percent? Of course, it is. Um, is it though, or, or but, is it, or is it the the dollar signs? Because at the end of the day, well, if he's 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 not really been considered for England for a long time, um, as good as he might be in the Premiership, uh, and there must be reasons for that. It's not just Eddie Jones that didn't select him. Well, um, I, I, but, so, but if someone wants to give him a million quid a year plus in the Premiership so, in the NFL, is that actually the reason? So the reality is, he's nowhere near being part of an NFL team. Like he still has to go through that, and there's a strong chance he won't get it and he won't earn those dollars. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't know this till it was actually another. Uh, I think it was leg cases actually, and they were talking because they know they're NFL, they're big fans, and they were saying. Firstly, he'd need to get on like a training squad then to get there. And to earn the big dollars, you have to be on whatever the squad. And there's a massive chance he may not get that. I think there's more going on. Like they're saying, he's got an American girlfriend. It's a new opportunity. He's not being looked at for England. I personally would not pick him for England myself. I think there are better wingers out there. I think Christian Wade's a brilliant, brilliant talent. But... With all our wingers fit, I actually do think we have better wingers for England. I think I agree right now. Was there a time, perhaps, when he was overlooked? Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely. I I think he should have had more opportunity. And I think it was Hugo Like We've gotten to him a lot, but I'm a massive Hugo Monier fan anyway. But um, he mentioned that he thinks uh, Christian Wade was let down a bit by the system. I, I kind of agree with that. I think he should have been given more chance. If you're doing that much in the Premiership, I think you should be given a chance. Um, sort of a Don Armand type argument. Yeah. And I'm... Go on. He's not... Yeah, I'm just saying he hasn't been... And, and actually, this season, he hasn't had the best of seasons so far anyway. I, I, good, hey, best of luck to the guy. 100%. I'd love to see him do well in the NFL. I really would. Um, but, I, yes, I, I, I 100% get why he's doing it. All the best to him, but it, it's not. Um, I, I don't think he's been robbed. I don't think he's at the moment currently been robbed of anything with regards to England rugby. No, I hundred percent agree. And, and, and I'm, think, a, I'm, I'm a big fan of Christian. But let's let's uh, let's you know. At the end of the day, we've got the biggest player pool in the world, um, and you can only have twenty three guys in a match day squad. Exactly. So there are always going to be people, particularly if someone performs badly, there are always going to be people that you could say, well, he would have been better because he had a great game yeah. last week. But yeah, maybe the week before it wasn't such a good game. And maybe the guy that you did pick had a great game last week, but it just didn't happen. Do you know what I mean? So there's going to be an element of, and this is the this is the beauty of being a fan and, and not doing this professionally, is that you get to say, Oh, you should have picked him. And hindsight's a wonderful thing because he he would have been much better. And he was rubbish. Why did you you know Why did you do it? Um, but yeah, in 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 mild defence of some of Eddie Jones's decisions, um, I do think there is an element of 
you, you need an idea of what you want and you need to give people the opportunity to kind of make up for their mistakes. You can't start reacting to every performance and saying, ah, you didn't perform as well as you might have done. I'm bringing someone else in. And then someone else doesn't quite... Because you're constantly changing your squad then and you get no cohesion. Um, so yeah. there, there, there will be occasions and maybe this is part of what's going on with Don Armand, although, you know, that's a debate for another time. Um, but, you know, you, you I think... As much as you, as much as you want, as much as it's easy to sort of uh, listen to Sir Clive saying you always want your best players on the pitch, I don't think it's quite as straightforward as simply saying who are the best fifteen or twenty-three players right now as of last weekend's rugby. Pick them. That, that, no, I, I agree with that, but I, I do also. There's a part of me that agrees with Clive. Like you want your best players involved and there's a lot of people who are consistently brilliant who aren't involved okay so so then the flip the flip argument to that is who is involved that simply isn't good enough I, I, so for people involved i don't think there's anyone involved who's not good enough is that not i think there's in theory is that I not enough i i think there's people involved who are better who sorry people who are not involved who are better right for example, I think George Ford is 100% good enough to be involved in an England setup. I think Danny Cipriani at the moment is a better option. I think a Michael Rhodes, for example, great player, um, and well, I'm completely forgetting the fella's name at Newcastle, who's, who's a great flanker as well. I think they're both um, good enough players to be involved. I think Don Armand is better. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess this is where Mike... game plans and everything else are just something we don't understand, you know, we don't know enough about. And this yeah. is where there, there there are elements to take into account. Um, you know, you can't have, you can't have, you know, if if the best individual twenty three players all play a certain way, but as a team you need a mixture of things, then you might argue that actually because I need something that these individuals can't all deliver because actually they're really good. I don't know. They're really good at set piece and they're really good at running with the ball, but they're not quite so good at uh, competing at the breakdown, for example. So, you know, is that not an example of a situation where you might say there might be someone who on paper is better because he's got more yards and he's scored more tries, you know, and he's made more tackles, but you've, you know, turned over more ball, and that's what I need in the team right now. And so we, as fans, look at it and go, "Well, how can you pick him over him?" Do you know what I mean? So there's going to be elements like that that we're not taking into account that we've not analysed in the same way that Eddie Jones and the you know, I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm for sure. There's, there's for no sure. point in everyone um, in England shitting all over Eddie Jones and his decision making. You know, we had our moment of outrage, um, but the decision has been made. We've got the autumn internationals kicking off in a week's time, um, and that's when we're gonna have the opportunity to see whether or not what he's done pays dividends and we can only wait and see what happens. So I think we, now is the time to start getting back behind him and more importantly, getting behind the team because we can't yeah, all, we, we don't want to, we don't want to kind of, you know, fall out of love with the team because we, you know, Eddie Jones didn't select Danny Cipriani. You know, he didn't. Yeah, it, it is what it is. This is what he has done. Now let's get behind that. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's the key. Look, look, we've got our it's um, next weekend, isn't it? We're play, we're playing the Saffords, and let's get behind the team. And and sometimes it's really harsh on players who are picked, who everyone's like, 
this person's better. It's like, that's not their fault. They're picked and they're going to do their best for the country. Let's get behind them all, guys. We're, we're playing, and, and I think 95 plus percent of England fans are going to do that. We're playing South Africa next week. Good team. Yeah, they might be missing a few players. We're missing a lot of players as well. Yeah. So let's massively get behind the England boys. And, we, and that, we've got a man. lot to prove, not just to the fans in terms of England performances in general, but also against South Africa after what happened down down there uh, in the summer. Um, yeah, in the summer. Um, you know, and setting the tone for moving forwards because you know the biggest game in God knows how many years. Two thousand twelve was the last one, I think, um, against New Zealand. Yeah. The week after. Uh, massive game you know a year ago or 18 months ago that was talked as being the kind of the the sort of the biggest game in you know in in well and it's certainly an awfully long time and one that was going to really define how the world cup was going to play out now things have changed slightly because of performances but it doesn't make it any less of a of a big game and england have a huge amount to prove and that's you know these these next two weeks are going to be massive so i'm really looking forward to seeing what the boys can do um, as you say the, the squad has been selected. The 23 will be chosen from it. It is what it is. Um, you know, we can bitch and moan about it all we want. We've done a bit of that. Now it's time to say, okay, you know, us complaining isn't going to change anything. Let's get behind the ones that are there and let's start concentrating on what they can do, not what, you know, people who weren't selected might have been able to do. Um, because it's all, high, you know, it's all speculative. We don't know. You know, it's all well and good saying Danny Cipriani should be in there. But for all we know, if he'd selected Danny Cipriani, he might have come on the pitch, got sent off in five seconds for standing up to someone in a tackle and lost us a game. So you just don't know. Um, so, yeah, it's time to focus on on what is going on and uh, and what we have got. And hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood and all that, um, see some, uh, some cracking performances from the boys over the next few weeks. Um, that's probably a pretty good place to call time on our 100th episode. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, to those of you that have been with us since the beginning, you know, we really appreciate, well, we appreciate all of you, but, you know, uh, we really appreciate the uh, the level of support that you've given us. We hope you continue to stick with us right the way through to the World Cup. Um, that is the, the plan. We believe England can win. Um, we believe they will win. <laughs> um, but there's a long way to go uh, until that happens. So uh, keep tuning in. Um, as we've said uh, at the beginning of the episode, get in touch. Tell us what you think. Ask us questions. Um, you know, we, we want to involve you in the conversation. Um, the best way to do that is either through social media uh, at England Rugby Pod, or you can email us uh, englandrugbypod at gmail.com. And of course, ratings, reviews, always appreciated. Um, and, uh, and we'll certainly read those out. Um, but uh, yeah, apart from that, uh, glad you were here with us today, guys. And let's speak to you again next week. Lovely, lovely. Speak soon. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>